think a lot of conspiracy theories are held aloft because no one can actually check them. But they don't know if it's really true or not. How would I know? A lot of these things are held as kind of mythic beliefs. It's the kind of thing our team believes. I call that tribal conspiracism, or it's a proxy for some other belief that you hold. Uh, I call that proxy conspiracism. You know, whether it happened or not is sort of beside the point, like Pizzagate. You know, was Hillary Clinton really running a secret pedophile, satanic pedophile ring out of a pizzeria? Well, I mean, whatever, probably not. I take you to the uh, to the Comet Ping Pong Pizzeria and show you. Look, there's no basement. Just, they're just making pizza here. There's no child conspiracy ring. And it's not like people are going to go. Oh, in that case, I'll vote for Hillary. You know, they were never going to vote for Hillary, right? So it's a proxy truth. It's the kind of thing those Democrats would do. Whether this one's true or not is beside the point. I just hate them. You know, I don't trust them. That kind of thing. So, and I think a lot of beliefs are like that. Uh, welcome to the New Flesh Podcast, the podcast you deserve. My name is Ricky Orpike, and joining me once again is my co-conspirator, Jonathan Astro. John, how are you? Uh, do you like a good conspiracy theory? I do. I do. Um, actually, no, I, I, I'm pretty rational about most of them. But our guest today, there was one, I must say, JFK is one that I'm all in on. All right. What about you? Do you have a conspiracy that you're all, all in on? Oh, well, I, I love the moon landing being faked just because it would involve so many people and for them to stay silent on, on it. But also because we're film nerds and apparently Stanley Kubrick filmed it at, at a studio somewhere in the desert. So. And he did a great job, I think. So Yeah, Oscar, Oscar winning. Probably maybe better than Eyes Wide Shut. Who knows? <laughs> uh, but anyway, we're, we're <laughs> perhaps... Um, We'll pick that up another time. Today's guest, Michael Shermer, conspiracy theory expert. Well, actually, I think he's, there's probably a better expression of what, of what he does. Cut that, cut that out. Cut that. <laughs> what do I call him? It's um, anyway, just, just just listen. Yeah, just listen. Dr. Michael Shermer is the founding publisher of Skeptic Magazine, the host of the podcast, The Michael Shermer Show, and a presidential fellow at Chapman University, where he teaches Skepticism 101. For 18 years, he was a monthly columnist for The Scientific American. He is the author of several New York Times bestseller, bestsellers, including Why People, Why People Believe Weird Things, The Believing Brain, Why Darwin Matters, The Science of Good and Evil, The Moral Arc, Heavens on Earth, Giving the Devil His Due, and most recently, Conspiracy, Why the Rational Believe the Irrational, which we'll be talking about. He also has a Substack column called Skeptic, uh, which has over 6,000 subscribers. Michael, you must be exhausted after all that. Uh, welcome to the new flesh. <laughs> nice to see you guys. Thanks for having me. Uh, Michael, we'll get into substantial matters shortly, but uh, I need to know, when you go to family get-togethers, you know, thanks Thanksgiving or whatnot. Uh, do the relatives who believe in Jewish lizard bankers uh, give you a wide berth? Because <laughs> in my experience, these are the types of events that uh, feature a lot of conspiracy talk. <laughs> they they do well. I think my family members know me well enough, uh, along with friends, to not bring up stuff that could, uh, I guess, cause tension. Let's just say, you know, politics and religion. You're not supposed to talk about at uh, dinner with family, and I suppose that would apply to conspiracy theories. I don't know. Actually, now that I think about the question, no, usually people uh, uh, will say something like, I'm a skeptic too, but what about X? <laughs> you know, and, and whatever that is, 9-11 or JFK or, you know, the lizard people or whatever. Usually it's something that's maybe not completely crazy. You know, like what about the NSA or the Homeland Security or the U.S. government doing things? And sometimes they are doing things, right? So I... One approach I have uh, is not, 
Well, one of the approaches I've taken in the book is to dispel the myth that um, that conspiracy theories as a term is a pejorative and should be that. In fact, it's not, um, you know, that, you know, uh, calling somebody a crazy conspiracy theorist or, or that's just a crazy conspiracy theory um, is not accurate because, in fact, a lot of conspiracy theories turn out to be true. So it's really just a simple signal detection theory problem or, you know, what's true problem. Some are true, some are not, some we can't tell. And, you know, so it just depends on the particular claim. So I try to treat conspiracy theories like I would any other claim at all. You know, is it true? Is it possibly true? Is there some percentage of it likely to be true or not? You know, and just, and then go from there. And then you take the kind of emotional component out of it where people feel the need to defend the theory because they have some vested interest in it. Well, just to, before we get on to, to some of the uh, these definitions, uh, it, I'm interested because you've been you've actually been following this uh, for a, a long time now, uh, and so over the last twenty years, have you witnessed a change in? Let's just go. Let's just run with the the example of of the Thanksgiving. You know, because the time was you could go to Thanksgiving, and then yeah, your uncle might go, or your cousin might say. Hey, yeah, you'd be talking about um, the temperature of steel in, uh, you know, the, the, the one of the twin towers. But then now, I feel like that Thanksgiving would be cancelled because people would be like, "We're not doing it this year because so and so voted for, for, you know, Trump or whatever." Yeah, well, if Trump comes up, that you know, then that makes it even harder. Uh, it's such a divisive figure wherever you are on the political spectrum. Of course, my Democratic friends don't like Trump at all, but half my Republican friends don't like him either, even the ones that voted for him, just because it's a team sport and you got to support the team. You know, so <laughs> there's that. Um, what's different now, I suppose, would just be the speed with which conspiracy theories spread, like the news feed. You know, it's just within minutes there's new conspiracy theories or, or you know, news updates on things like, um, the Pentagon leaker recently, you know, is he is he a noble whistleblower? Is he a criminal? Uh, you know, then there's invocations of of Daniel Ellsberg in the Pentagon Papers or uh, Edward Snowden and WikiLeaks, you know, and and so and it's really hard to say when we just know next to nothing. You know, it's just the story is you know breaks and then the well this morning there was what, a story there was somebody else involved in that case somebody higher up than that young man who was involved in. Okay, well, so it's hard to respond to a conspiracy theory like that or whatever you want to call it um, in real time because it changes so rapidly in real time. There's not more conspiracies theories now or more conspiracism now. It's That's never really changed. Conspiracy theories have always been um, popular going back thousands of years or certainly decades and centuries in the modern world. It's the, the speed with which they spread. Like I, I'm fond of saying, you know, like I wrote about in the book about the JFK conspiracy theorists, you know, there was a plot to assassinate Kennedy. You know, those people used to meet in tiny hotel conference rooms with their little mimeograph newsletters and their self-published books. And, you know, and they, they just didn't have much reach. Um, and so they weren't much of a threat to national security or whatever. But now you can create a website and get 10 million hits in a day. You know, you can grow your Twitter feed, you know, overnight. And uh, and so, the, you know, it's the speed with which they spread. So the Thanksgiving dinner would might be, you know, whatever happened yesterday rather than, you know, a decade ago. Mm. 
Well, before before we go any further, perhaps we can get a definition of the term conspiracy and conspiracy theory, and maybe you can tell us what what's the difference between these two two terms. Mm, yeah, so this is also important to, to keep in consideration. People confuse them. So a conspiracy is just two or more people plotting in secret to do something to a third party that's illegal or immoral without their knowledge or consent. And that happens all the time. So a conspiracy theory is a theory about a possible conspiracy, whether it's true or not. And then a conspiracist or a conspiracy theorist is somebody who invokes a theory about a possible conspiracy, whether the conspiracy theory is true or not. So again, if we just clarify the definitions and keep it clean like that and just ask simply, is it true or not? That's all. And and try to keep politics or religion or ideology out of it. Uh, then people don't feel the need, I think, to defend it as if it's part of their identity. And so, and again, when you, and also when you define it like that, it's like, oh yeah, okay. So conspiracies do happen. You know, the examples I use, you know, Volkswagen cheating the emission standards, Watergate, um, you know, insider trading, just, you know, the uh, MK Ultra CIA program to uh, dose citizens with LSD as a mind control uh, experiment. You know, the, those kinds of things, Tuskegee um, and, uh, you, you know, the FBI program, COINTELPRO, to spy on U.S. citizens in the civil rights movement. You know, these things are all turned out to be conspiracy theories that were true. Uh, you know, when activists in the civil rights activists in the 60s and 70s, you know, complained that, you know, they're spying on us or they're doing something. Well, they were. <laughs> right. So <clears throat> it's not completely crazy when somebody says that, as they say, just because you're paranoid doesn't mean they're not after you. They might be after you. <laughs> mm. So but again, we just have to take them uh, one at a time. What's the evidence for it? You know, maybe it's true. Maybe it's not. I don't know. Let's see. So you, you don't want it like with anything in skepticism. It's not a, 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 you know, a blanket approach where you just deny knowledge of any kind. Uh, it's just let's look at the evidence for each particular claim. And if there is evidence, then we'll accept it. And, and does every conspiracy begin as a conspiracy theory? Uh, well, OK, so here again, our terms, a conspiracy is just, again, people actually doing things. Uh, and often these things are uncovered by whistleblowers and insiders or through committee investigations, that kind of thing, where Freedom of Information Act, where you get documents that were previously classified that are now made public. And it's like, oh my God, our government was doing that. Uh, and and so um, an actual, actual conspiracies can go on for a long time without being discovered. Uh, I mean, the Pentagon Papers was 1970s, and this was about what the Eisenhower, Kennedy, and Johnson, and Nixon administrations had lied to the American public about Vietnam. So, you know, ha had certain things not unfolded, we may have never known about it, you know, and or just take a financial scam like Bernie Madoff and his, uh, essentially his pyramid scheme. Um, he may have gotten away with that. We may have never found out about that had the 08, 09 financial meltdown not happened, which forced him to, you know, cash in, pay off his people he owed, which he was already doing. You know, there's lots of people that made money for decades from Bernie Madoff. Um, so why would anybody be wise to something else that was actually going on behind until, you know, they're forced upon it? And that's how we find out about it. Mm. And can you out outline the features of, of a conspiracy theory? I guess I think, I think what you're asking is, um, what are the characteristics that 
make a conspiracy theory likely to be true or likely to be false. So the fewer people that have to be involved, or I should say the opposite direction, the more people that have to be involved, the less likely the conspiracy theory is to be true. Simply because people are incompetent, they can't keep their mouth shut. You know, it's hard to coordinate a lot of different people to do a lot of different things at the right time. The more elements that have to come together for the conspiracy theory to work, the less likely the conspiracy it is that it's there really is a conspiracy. Uh, the grander in scope the conspiracy theory, the less likely it is to be true. You know, you think most conspiracy, you know, like conspiracy theories about things that powerful people are doing. It's almost, or rich people, it's almost always something narrowly focused. Again, the Volkswagen cheating the emission standards in Europe. Why? To make money. That's why. <laughs> you know, it's not complicated. They're not trying, you know, to take over the world or, you know, to, to control the economy. Nothing like that. Um, even rigged elections, you know, it's always very, very, very specific uh, when th those sorts of things happen. Or, you know, the CIA working with um, foreign fascist governments in, in uh, foreign countries to support them rather than the communist dictators. You know, our uh, CIA did that in the 60s and 70s. And, um, you know, but again, it's a very narrowly focused thing. It's not like they're trying to take over the world or control something bad. So when you hear things like George Soros or Bill Gates are trying to control the world population, you know it can't be true because nobody can do that. That's not how the world works. You know, nobody can predict what's going to happen more than about five years out. You know, even the best super forecasters, people trained on forecasting the future, uh, you know, and Bayesian reasoning and taking in statistical analysis and using every tool we have, more than five years out, they're no better than random chance. So nobody could, you know, like control the world or control wars or things like that. Um, and so, the again, those are kind of the characteristics that, you would, if you hear a conspiracy theory, think, okay, wait a minute, what's the likelihood of this being true? You know, how many people would have to be involved to pull this off? How many elements? So 9-11 is an inside job. You know, how would operatives get into the World Trade Center buildings to plant explosive devices to bring those buildings down through a controlled demolition? That's the theory. How would they do that? First of all, you know, we know from companies that demolish buildings for a living, this happens all the time. You know, they have hundreds of people that have to go in there and they have to break through the drywall and put the explosive devices around the supportive beams. How are you going to do that when there's police and security and, and 50,000 employees walking around? <laughs> How's anybody going to not notice? Right. And so and also what else would have to be true? You know, so how many people would have to be involved? Hundreds or thousands? Not one of them wants to go on 60 minutes and, and expose what the, Oh my God, I'll tell you exactly how it happened. I was dating this guy and he told me the whole thing. You know, not one person has a story like that or WikiLeaks, you know, that was tens of, that was millions of highly classified documents. Not one piece of paper in that leak had anything to do with nine 11 as an inside job. The Bush administration was in on it. They knew about it. Nothing, absolutely zero, by the way, nothing in there also about the baked moon landing aliens at, at, you know, Roswell or area 51, nothing like that. Right. So, and you would expect, you would predict, you know, if we got a tranche of a million classified documents, there'd be something in there about those conspiracies and there isn't. So the conspiracy theories about them are very, very likely to be false. Well, Michael, maybe take us back a little bit before we go forward. Uh, what what actually got you into skepticism and, and conspiracies? 
Oh, well, I'm, I've always been interested. And when I was in college, I read a book, None Dare Call It Conspiracy. I had no idea what it was about, but it was about, turns out it was sort of Cold War anti-communism conspiracy theories. Also, at the time I was a born-again Christian, I was really into Hal Lindsey's The Great Late Great Planet Earth. The whole thing is coming to an end. Jesus is coming back, which is a kind of conspiracy theory in a way that, you know, certain things are going to happen in Israel and there's going to be this big war and the Antichrist is coming. And I think it's, you know, Henry Kissinger and Richard Nixon and the Ayatollah Khomeini and this person, the Russians and the Chinese and oh, oh boy, you know, and, and I, I believed it all. And so, uh, you know, later, and I even gave a copy of the late great planet Earth to my philosophy professor and he actually read it and, and write, typed out a four pages of type single space type notes. I still have them with the book here on my bookshelves. You know exactly what's wrong with this. And I'm like, oh, huh. at least he, ca at least he cared enough about you to try and rescue you. You know, yeah, yeah. I know, I know. He turned out to be a lifelong friend. Actually, it was it was kind of nice to have somebody you know walk you through these things because when you're 18, what do you know, right? So I, you know, I always thought there might be something to it. And you know, when I was in college, 1972, I started. You know, uh, it, you know, I took poli sci, and our our readings were the newspaper, the daily headlines. You know, Watergate and Vietnam and all that stuff. And Nixon, it was just crazy times. And you know, there's so I always thought, you know, there's stuff going on that I really don't understand or know. And you know, rich people, powerful people, politicians, corporate leaders. They're probably up to all sorts of things, and sometimes they are, right? So, um, and then when we started Skeptic Magazine in 1992, 30, uh, 31 years ago now, uh, with my partner there, Pat Lindsay, in the back. Oh, you can't see this because we're doing this audio, but uh, she died last year. But we started this, and Conspiracy Theories was always in our wheelhouse because they've always been popular. We've done several issues on uh, JFK. JFK was the mother of all conspiracy theories until 9-11. And that was bumped a little bit by the Obama birthers, and they've both been bumped a bit by QAnon, Deep State, Pizzagate, all that stuff that, that arose with the rise of Trump. And uh, yeah, so um, it, it's it never ends. I could do every issue of Skeptic as a special conspiracy issue because there's just <laughs> so many. They're just everywhere, constantly, and just in the news regularly. Now, Michael, it seems that, that in the current volatile political situation we, we find ourselves in, that, that the term conspiracy theory has been politicized and, and, and weaponized and, and, and has become sort of a proxy for, I don't like your views. Uh, do you think the term has lost some of its meaning? Yeah, that's what I'm trying to do in the book is say it, it's not a, a pejorative. You know, to say that's a crazy conspiracy theory is just a way to dismiss somebody's Arguments exactly what we saw with the uh, lab leak hypothesis about uh, SARS-CoV-2 uh, origin. You know, it was it, it, at the time. Let's see, I'm trying to remember this. March, February, March of 2020. Let's see, the Chapman University where I teach my course closed in March. Okay, so that's about when things got really heated up and, and there was much discussion. Where did this thing come from? You know, so the first hypothesis. Well, you know, it's this zoonotic you know, the bats, pangolins, the wet market and all that stuff. And then it wasn't long before somebody said, well, you know, the in Wuhan, there's this virology lab. <laughs> it's like, oh, huh. You know, and then you start reading about leaks in labs that have happened historically in China, in the United States, in Russia. You know, the, you know, it's human error. Just stuff happens. And so that those were kind of competing hypotheses for a few months. And then all of a sudden it just became um, a taboo to suggest that this was a 
a, a lab leak. And then it was a crazy conspiracy theory against the Chinese. And, you know, I, I guess I try to be understanding, you know, maybe the State Department doesn't like that because we're trying to stay friendly with the Chinese. And so, uh, but it was never, the lab leak hypothesis was never a conspiracy theory that the Chinese did this intentionally. It was just a human error hypothesis. So it's not even really a conspiracy theory other than conspiring to cover up their errors. If that's what it is, that's probably what it is. If if the lab leak hypothesis turns out to be true, which I think is, is a pretty good chance it could be, I would put it right at 50% at least, uh, then it would just be a conspiracy to cover up what happened. Not that they intentionally created a bioweapon or something. Michael, like that. it doesn't. So that's it, an example. It doesn't help that Dr. Fauci looks like uh, you know a central casting X Files deep stater. <laughs> yeah, if only he smoked. Right? <laughs> yes, right. smoking man from X Files. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and he didn't help you know help himself with all the stuff he'd said that wasn't true, like the masks. You know, you don't need to wear a mask. And it's well, you need to wear a mask, and you know. Vaccines will prevent the spread. Oh, no, okay. That's a, you know, just the problem with politicians and, and public health officials like that is that they feel they can't be honest and just say, you know what? We really are clueless here. We just don't know. So right now we have our best guess. Here they are. Here's our three different ideas or three theories or two hypotheses, whatever. But, you know, and, and I guess I've never been in this position where I'm a you know, the mayor or governor or president and somebody sticks a microphone in my face with 50, 100 news media people waiting to hear what I have to say. Should we close the uh, the economy down? Should we close the schools? Should we force people to wear masks? Should we force everybody to get a vaccine? What's the answer? You know, and I guess that it's hard to just say, you know what? I don't know. I mean, we just don't know. We don't have enough information. And then, then people go, well, but get, tell us the answer. I could, so that, I'm trying to be generous here with people like Fauci. Maybe that's it. You know, why not just say at the moment, here's my best guess. We should, everybody should wear a mask, but I could be wrong. Maybe next week we'll have new data. I think people would understand that. I think, you know, the p people are not stupid. They get something simple. It's not rocket science, not, you know, teaching quantum physics or something, right? They get that. And, and also I think that would help with the trust factor in authorities, you know, trust in, in medicine, scientists, teachers, police, government, senators, and congressmen, it's at an all-time low. <laughs> and there's a good reason for that. You know, people just hear too many of these, what looks to be lies, even though I think they're mostly not lies, they're just incorrect statements that don't get corrected. And it, 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 it'd be well advised, I think, to just couch things in probabilities high probability, low probability, not sure. Use language that shows you're thinking it through and you're willing to change your mind. At the moment, here's what I think we should do. I could be wrong. Maybe next week we'll have a new policy. And then people go, okay, I get that. Well, it seems that the terms my truth and lived experience are phrases that we, we, we hear a lot nowadays, uh, sometimes perhaps used as a sort of wild card to, to combat uh, contradicting facts or, or, or on a topic perhaps. But I'd like to get your, your view on this notion of my truth and lived experience. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's real in a sense that it, you, you, we all have internal truths or subjective truths you know, I like, I don't know, dark chocolate better than milk chocolate. And you like milk chocolate better than dark chocolate, whatever. These are just preferences. doesn't mean anything. Uh, so that's my lived truth. But so what? <laughs> you know, what the problem is that people are now 
kind of morphing that into external objective truths as if dark chocolate is really objectively better than milk chocolate, even though I personally think that, but <laughs> it's not something I can prove. Right. Or, you know, the, my other example, you know, I think stairway to heaven is the greatest rock song of all time. And you go, no, 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 it's Freebird. You know, these are just preferences. They're not, you know, they're not any kind of real truth, you know? So the lived experience truth, it, it's real for, that we all have an internal dialogue in our head of what we like. We have preferences and so on. The problem gets to be where, you know, that people get confused about this, you know, that, uh, you know, my belief that the earth is 10,000 years old and was created in the last 10,000 years by Yahweh. Okay. And, and somebody else says, well, I think the earth is 4.6 billion years old and through evolution and geological forces and so on. These are not two equally, objective truths. One is just a subjective religious truth, and the other is objective truth based on evidence. And, um, and that's the problem, right? And we see this now with things like the trans movement, which I've been very critical of, um, that somebody's internal lived experience, I feel, you know, a, a guy who says, I feel like a, a woman. Okay, well, what do I care? I don't care personally. But, you know, if you say, well, then I also want to just to pull it from the headlines here, you know, I also want to be put in, in a women's prison. If you're a guy, this is happening here in the state of California, uh, you know, or you're, you're Leah Thomas, a swimmer. So I, you know, I'm, I'm a male six foot two male, but I want to swim against women. So I identify as a woman. Well, I don't really care what Leah Thomas does personally. You know, if that's her lived experience and she needs to do that. Okay, fine. But don't conflict with other people's, uh, you know, rights, which are grounded in actually objective facts about biology and male and female differences in sports, for example. So there you, you see that conflict there. Or more broadly, postmodernism and the relativism of, of truth that, you know, science is just another way of knowing no better than other ways of knowing, whatever those would be. Um, and that science is, you know, the, the commitment to empiricism, reason, logic facts evidence is a you know white male colonial imperialistic capitalistic way of knowing or some such thing like this you know is really it's not just wrong it's it's really in in a way degrading to people that are not white what you that 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 people of color can't be objective rational what what are you talking about <laughs> right and that's where the problem gets you know so called science wars in the 1990s, uh, where you know all truths are equal, uh, or the postmodernism of more recent take on this, um, you know, they're just people just confusing these internal uh, lived experience truths versus objective truths. And in science, we we really need to know what's actually true if we're going to make decisions about medicine or public health or any any engineering any kind of you know thing that makes a difference like that it, it, there was a guest we had on recently eric kaufman who who uh, in his interview it was really striking it was the first time i'd heard he said that uh you know some of the progressive beliefs being taught in k k through 12 in both the us and the uk including crt which you just talked a little bit about critical race theory or we could call it what you like we could call it we could get into that whole thing but i think we all know what we're talking about when we say that mostly and some of the more radical gender theory which you've also touched on there 
Um, and maybe even he also lumped in uh, some conceptions of, of patriarchy, uh, so, uh, some maybe more radical v- views of that. He, he said that, that these were borderline conspiracy theory thinking. Um, I, thought that, I thought that was really, uh, really striking, you know. Um, it was the first time I'd heard some of those things uh, put in that category. Have you ever come across that? You mean so like the white patriarchy cetera would be a kind of conspiracy or crt for instance like like you know that the the way we're we're seeing some of this because the idea is that um we're being told if we follow it follow the narrative it's the idea is that um oh it's not being taught uh and if it is being taught it's great and then um uh this idea of yeah it's not being taught but then you see just counts countless um educators I and mean, this is this is confirmation bias that i'm i'm falling into here but educated more educators than i thought there would be on tiktok proudly saying what they're teaching in terms of lgbt or or crt or whatever. yeah i see i see yeah i would not call it a conspiracy theory because it's done right out in the open they're they're openly uh, telling everybody this is what we're doing <laughs> and then you know when when somebody like chris rufo posted you know stuff on twitter and his webpage, you know then they say well we're not this is not actually happening then what am i looking at here on my screen right uh so i suppose the denial that it's happening is is kind of a conspiracy theory but for the most part most of the sort of marxist related postmodernism and so on is out in the open, they're they're openly doing this, and so are the people rebutting it. Like you mentioned, Chris Rufo or Ron DeSantis in Florida. You know, there's no secret about it. They're you know holding press conferences. This is what we're going to do. We're going to punish Disney by doing following. We're going to ban this and that, right? So uh, I think it it would be more along. It would be more of a conspiracy theory if it was done secretly. And this was so. These are older conspiracy theories about you know communists infiltrating the State Department in the 1950s, say, and the whole McCarthyism kind of witch hunt. That that was more conspiracy theory laden, because it was that it doesn't look like any of this is happening, but it is, and we're going to expose it, right? And so you know that was a kind of a witch hunt. Today, it's I think it's more out in the open. So okay, fine. I'd rather it be out in the open. Just tell us what it is you believe and what you want to do and we'll we'll evaluate it so by the same token is is it fair to call the russiagate investigations sort of a uh, what they would see as a left-wing conspiracy um just on a on a for example the reason i bring it up is because um being an outsider just on a super, very superficial level watching rachel maddow on msnbc uh with this with the sound off uh she seemed um just as wild-eyed as the guy from heaven's gate <laughs> <laughs> Marshall Applewhite. Yeah, <laughs> it's funny. I've never heard that analogy. Yeah, I can see that. Maybe uh, I, I probably analogously turning on uh, Tucker Carlson with the sound off would probably have the same effect because he has that He's very expressive look yes. on his face too. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, that whole thing—the whole modern American media—and as you probably heard today, that the you know Fox News settled with the Dominion. Um, company within that lawsuit they, they they settled for about half so about 780 billion million dollars they're paying um the dominion company to just go away because they make so much money from their um stars uh, they pretty much the evening fox news people make bring in a huge amount of money so yeah but all that's pretty much out in the open you know i think the, the media today is just so polarized now but again it's not secret they just they just talk about every night on both sides. 
and um, c- accusing the others of doing things. That, that's where the conspiracy theory, I guess, would be. The left wants to destroy America. You know, you hear this a lot. The left, the left, the left, the progressive left. They wanted to, they hate America. They hate, you know, whatever. And, you know, th- that's a conspiracy theory. Is it true? No, it's not true. I mean, Joe Biden, he doesn't hate America. Obama doesn't hate America. You know, they're not trying to destroy American families. They're all, ma- <laughs> they're married with families. I mean, what are you but, talking interestingly, about? Interestingly, Michael, they, <laughs> they, they, they certainly don't hate America. What they love is Martha's Vineyard. And they love, <laughs> yeah, they, like right. they love it. They, they they love America. They love they, what they don't yeah. love is is universal health care. They don't love, um, uh, you know, the things that AOC wants or whatever. They don't love that. They love this. They love the um, uh, the high life from my by my life. Yes. To be sure, you can always find extremists on both sides and you know, anarcho capitalists and, you know, who think we don't need government at all or the sovereign citizens that don't even recognize U.S. government, the doomsayers with their bomb shelters in Idaho and their golden guns. There's always people like that and the crazy people on the left that, you know, want to destroy capitalism and shut it down. Sure. You know, but 90 per, 95 percent of everybody is in between the two 40 year lines. They're just kind of sent left of center Democrats, right of center Republicans. The Trump phenomena was unusual. Um, you know, he's more of a he's not really a Republican at all. He's a whatever he is. He's his own man, uh, more of a populist authoritarian, maybe whatever the right word is. And, and it's really divided the, the GOP, you know, be, between those who are more just right of center Republicans that want someone like a John McCain, Mitt Romney, kind of a Bob Dole sort of conservative, and Trump is not like that at all. So, it, you know, they're they're in real trouble trying to you know find their compass there and figure out what to do going forward. Um, and the Democrats have the same problem, right? I mean, uh, Biden is just left of center. He's he's pretty kind of old school Democrat, but he's old. <laughs> and, you know, he doesn't want to step down. And so who knows what's going to happen in 2024. But all that, you know, it's if you just follow the media, yes, it's, you know, there's nothing but conspiracy theories about what each side is doing to destroy America. It's mostly exaggerated. I'm not a fan of Trump, but, you know, the, much of the rhetoric against him has been really conspiratorial laden, far more than is true. You know, the Russian gate, pretty much everything thrown at him has turned out to be nothing or not much. And it certainly emboldens his followers. Even the indictments, you know, a couple of weeks ago in New York City, 34 indictments. You know, even that was like he didn't commit 34 different crimes. He wrote 34 checks to Cohen to give to Stormy Daniels. You know, so it's like this is not going to have the effect that the Democrats think it is. It's just not. You know, if anything, he's raised even more money in the last two weeks than he has in the last year for his next campaign. It's like Hmm. astonishing. So I think that I think people listen to, to the extremists too much. And think that's the way it's going to be, and it just doesn't turn out that way. While we're still talking about politics, it, it seems as if the word lie began to appear more frequently or more freely in the media several years ago, particularly in relation to, to, to Donald Trump. Uh, it was commonplace in mainstream media to talk about the president's lies, uh, and I believe the Washington Post began to count the president's lies to, and I think it got to over 30,000. What, what do you think of the usage of the terms lie and lies as we now use it? Mm, right. Uh, Washington Post has that. Right? No, it's not. PolitiFact has the ranking 
of of, uh, of the number of lies, and then the, the worst category is pants on fire liar, <laughs> which Trump uh, made many times. Yes, they all lie, but the you know the kind of rebuttal of what aboutism? Well, you know, Obama lied. He said you could keep your doctor, you can't, and so Trump lies, Obama lies. They all lie. No, it, it, some are worse than others, and uh, you know Trump has taken it to whole new levels. You know, it, it remains to be seen how that'll affect his future campaign. He lost in 2020 by a fair amount, probably because of the lies about the rigged election that pretty much everybody knew was not true. Once Attorney General Bill Barr said, you know, he's a Trump supporting Republican, said, I turned the resources of the Department of Justice over to find out what actually happened. And we found nothing that should have ended it, but it didn't. So something else weird is going on with the with the Trump phenomenon. Some people call it a cult. I think that's too going too far. But, you know, something there is off from normal poli divisive politics. You know, so, yeah, lies. They, they do. You know, people lie. It's true. But um, but again, back to conspiracies. Yes, of course, people lie to cover up what they're doing. If there's an element of illegality or immorality to it, that's pretty normal. The question is, how far do you go once you've been caught? Well, are, are some conspiracy theories useful fictions? Because I'm, I'm thinking of religion here. So, some people would view religion as, as a form of conspiracy theory. But for others, uh, having a faith can be useful. Is that, is that right? Mm, yeah, useful fiction is a, is a term I like. I think that was the philosopher Hans Weiner quoted that, like free will. You know, the, the scientists tell us the world's a determined place with cause and effect and laws of nature and so on. But I feel free. And so, you know, it's a useful fiction <laughs> to have and, you know, or maybe money is a useful fiction. You know, there's no gold standard to back, back your money. And we, we know what happens when there's a run on the bank. You know, the money's not there. It's just not even Silicon Valley Bank and had plenty of resources until it didn't. You know, so but it's a useful fiction to, to assume that the United States government is solid. It's not going to go bankrupt. You know, the economy is not going to collapse. I don't have to store gold in my pillow <laughs> with my gun underneath the pillow and so on, you know, that the whole system will continue working relatively well. And that's a useful fiction if you live in a fairly stable country. Um, but conspiracy theories in a way, yes, they're, they're kind of a mythic truth. So let's think about that for a second. You know, I was thinking about this writing about the resurrection over Easter a couple of weeks ago. You know, is it literally true? Christian, most Christians think it's literally true. You know, and so if I if you take a, a different approach, sort of a Joseph Campbell or a, a, a Jordan Peterson, you know, it's mythically true. You know, it does something for people's lives. It makes their lives richer, better, happier. And, and no one's trying to prove anything Then I'm OK with that. I, I don't really care. You know, it's just the claim that it's actually empirically true, literally true, really happened, whatever the claim is. Then then I step in and go, well, okay, hang on. <laughs> you know, what do we actually know? You know, what are the chances that somebody actually was came back from really being dead? Um, and, and not just in some mythic sense. Um, that, that's, that, that's where it makes a difference. And I think a lot of conspiracy theories are held aloft because no one can actually check them. Uh, they don't know if it's really true or not. How would I know if this election was rigged or not? I wouldn't even know who to call, right? So a lot of these things are held as kind of mythic beliefs. It's the kind of thing our team believes. I call that tribal conspiracism, or it's a proxy for some other belief that you hold. Uh, I call that proxy conspiracism. You know, whether it happened or not is sort of beside the point, like Pizzagate. You know, was Hillary Clinton really running a secret pedophile, satanic pedophile ring out of a pizzeria? 
well, come on, whatever. Probably not. I take you to the uh, to the Comet Ping Pong Pizzeria and show you. Look, there's no basement. <laughs> They're just making pizza here. There's no child conspiracy ring. And it's not like people are going to go. Oh, in that case, I'll vote for Hillary. You know, they were never going to vote for Hillary, right? So it's a proxy truth. It's the kind of thing those Democrats would do. Whether this one's true or not is beside the point. I just hate them. You know, I don't trust them. That kind of thing. So, and I think a lot of beliefs are like that. N- not just in politics like that, but like um, the theory of evolution. We have research. Andrew Stuhlman at Occidental College did this research, and you know, among people who say they accept the theory of evolution, if you ask them, well, what is it? They have a hard time explaining it. They give some Lamarckian explanation. Well, the giraffe stretches its neck and then the offspring have longer necks. No, that that isn't what the theory of evolution says. Right. So when they say, I believe it, what they're really saying is, yeah, I trust science. I don't know much about it, but, you know, they all all the experts say it's true. So I guess it probably is true. Climate change, vaccines, you know, the Big Bang Theory, whatever, germ theory of disease. I think most people accept these things because they trust science as an institution that usually gets it right. And so something like the pandemic where, where they got it wrong a lot, you know, makes people distrust the system. So I think, you know, these are what, what I call proxy beliefs or they're, you know, they're sort of stand in for something else. Who, who can actually fact check these things? Who has time? I don't know. You know, it's like the uh, people that like another study done, this is by Dan Kahan, uh, you know, asking, asking people, you know, how does a zipper work? You know how the zipper works? Oh, yeah, of course I know how the zipper works. How does it work? Well, you you got these two little thingies here, and you hook them in there, and you got this doohickey, and you pull on it. <laughs> you know, or draw a bicycle. People have a hard time drawing a bicycle. They, they, everybody knows them. You know, or NAFTA. What's NAFTA? You know, people say, I support NAFTA. Or, I'm, I'm against NAFTA. What is it? Um, it's that North America. It's some kind of trade thing. You know, some of the kind. I don't know. <laughs> right? So... <laughs> So I think people, when they publicly signal they believe or they don't believe something, they're just reflecting like this is my group believes this in a, and that other group believes something different. And I don't like them. So I'm going to be skeptical of that. You know, climate change got bundled with Democrats after Al Gore's film and Inconvenient Truth. He's the vice president of the Democratic administration. So like, oh, this is one of those crazy left wing liberal conspiracies to uh, destroy American capitalism and free enterprise, you know, and but you know it didn't used to be that way. The EPA was created under Richard Nixon, right? Conservatives used to be in favor of conserving the environment, so it became more of a left wing thing when it got bundled with with politics, and that's the kind of thing I'm talking about. Well, you've mentioned evolution in a, in a different context there, but do, do conspiracy theories uh, and the the formation of them serve some sort of evolutionary function? I mean, yeah, I've read in your work that they've been around since since the beginning. I think so. Yeah. So one of my arguments is that it's not irrational to believe conspiracy theories in the sense that enough of them are true that it pays to be a little constructively paranoid. So I call this constructive conspiracism. That is, in human history, all the way back in evolutionary time, you know, we lived in these small bands of hunter-gatherers with other groups around. And and groups, there's kind of a game theory logic to trying to cheat the system a little bit or to get a little bit more for yourself or your group to take an advantage over some other group. That's That's normal. And, of course, the other group knows you might do this, so they have to preempt you 
and they may do the same thing to you. So it, it we all have to be a little suspicious. Everybody lies a little bit, so you got to be a little suspicious of what people tell you. You have to default to truth a lot because who has time to fact check everybody? So you make certain assumptions uh, that most people most of the time are relatively honest, and that's true. But so, you know, some people some of the time are not going to be. So you have to be a little leery of that. You know, so <clears throat> I call this a signal detection problem. You know that there really is a conspiracy and you identify it as such, this is a conspiracy theory, is true, that's a hit, or there really isn't a conspiracy afoot and you reject the conspiracy theory, that's a correct rejection. The other two cells, so this is a two by two uh, matrix here, and the other two cells are, um, there is no conspiracy theory, but you think that there is, so that's a false positive, a type one error, or down here, there really is a conspiracy theory and you fail to identify it. That's a type two error. So the one is worse than the one error is worse than the other. That is the failure to identify an actual plot against you could be much more costly than making a type one error of just of, of, of finding a, a pattern that isn't real. And I apply that model actually uh, to any kind of superstition, any kind of belief that it, you know, the rustle in the grass, is it a dangerous predator? Or is it just the wind? Well, if you assume it's a dangerous predator, it turns out it's just a wind. That's a false positive type one error, but that's relatively harmless. You just become more careful and cautious, but no harm. But if you think the rustle in the grass is just the wind, it turns out it's a dangerous predator, you're lunch. <laughs> Congratulations, you've just been given a Darwin Award for taking yourself out of the gene pool early before reproducing. So I'm arguing that we're the descendants of people that make more type one errors than type two errors. That is assume conspiracy theories or whatever is real when they're not, just in case. And so I think that's the basis of conspiracism. It's normal. It's rational. It's often product, productive. It's adaptive to, to so believe. Even if you get it wrong, sometimes, usually getting it wrong, unless you storm the Capitol on January 6th or do something goofy like that. You know, most people that hold conspiracy theories, they don't lose their jobs. Their spouses don't leave them and so on. I mean, this did, this did happen a little bit during the uh, pandemic when QAnon was popular and, and there were actually divorces and families breaking up and people losing their jobs because they went so far down the rabbit hole. But most people don't, you know, they just kind of quietly hold these beliefs to themselves. Maybe they bring it up at the Thanksgiving family dinner, but you know, that, that they're your family. They have to love you no matter what, right? So it's not like you're going to get fired from your family or, uh, or they're going to kick you out of the family. So Michael, what's you the know, line so between, I, I think this is so fascinating because I think we're, you know, it's fair to say we must all be a little bit conspiratorial in our thinking. So at what point is it, is it charming and and you're an interesting person? Because I've found that people who don't believe, you know, don't believe in any of it, um, it, it they are, um, well, I, I just think that the other people, if I'm sitting, sat next to them, they're quite fun, you know, because yeah. so at what point is it like that film Harvey with James Stewart where they just believe in a big rabbit and it's, and it's, and it's, because the whole thing is everyone in that movie is desperately trying to lock him up, like treat him like dangerous, but he's just a lovely man who believes in a big rabbit. What's the big deal? And, the, and then <laughs> at what point does it become in the middle ground, the Q shaman and then where, where, you know, often off to the races to the barricades. Yeah, I was just actually lecturing on this last night to my students who are all 18 years old. And I showed them this video clip of this woman uh, in Texas who uh, we found her for this Netflix series on brainwashing that I worked on, 
where uh, during the pandemic, she went down the rabbit hole, the QAnon rabbit hole. And so now, mind you, this is a highly educated, very successful woman with a husband and several kids, her own company, a PR company in Dallas. And she had the whole uh, thing going. And then she went down the rabbit hole and, and decided, oh, my God, this is actually really happening. There really are children being trafficked in the sex ring. And, and, and I have to put a stop to this and so on. And she just got so into it. That, and she actually played for us on her cell phone the, the the message her husband left her. It's either QAnon or or I'm taking the kids. What are you gonna do if you you know you choose me and the kids or QAnon? And she said I chose QAnon. You slowly put the on the Q shaman hat. You do the math. <laughs> exactly. Well, in a way, yes, because she said, you know, there's nothing I will ever do in my life that is more important than saving these children and exposing the deep state and the whole thing. Right. As if she was, you know, this was her, you know, J. Robert Oppenheimer moment. Oh, my God, I'm a, a major figure in world history. Martin Luther King Jr., whatever. I'm going to change the world. Right? And so what does a little family and a business mean? Nothing compared to that. Right. Then, of course, she came to her senses later and went, went back to her family. But um, that, it, you know, that's what I told my students. You know, if your spouse leaves you, you've probably gone too far. Right? <laughs> <laughs> if you lose your job, you know, it's probably too much. But I, I think I've, I've read this in your book where you talk about um, conspiracy theories are like coping strategies. So in your case there, I mean... Perhaps for this lady to 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 believe in QAnon uh, was somehow bringing order to to a chaos in the world that she just couldn't deal with. Um, is 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 that sort of a a main driver, perhaps, of why people get heavily into conspiracy theories? Yeah, it's one. Uh, it's one of the main drivers of you know kind of laying over the chaos of the world some structure or order. You know, and uh, I have a quote from from somebody else that was. Uh, guy that wrote V for Vendetta. I forget the guy's Alan name. Anyway, said, yeah, yeah, that's it. Yeah, it's just such a great quote that, you know, it's it's not the cigarette smoking man or the, you know, alien lizard running the world. Uh, it's nobody is in charge. That's really scary, right? <laughs> it's like, oh, right. No one is in charge. In fact, not only that, no one even really understands how these complex systems work. You know, you have teams of PhD economists that can't agree on why there's inflation and what to do about it. It's like, how can that be? Right. It's, it's kind of easier to think, well, there's these 12 guys in London called the Illuminati and they're pulling the strings or it's George Soros and Bill Gates and Elon Musk. They're all running secretly running the world. At least I can understand that. I know rich, powerful people do things. That's easier to understand than that. There's some complex supply side economics. No, it's not supply side. It's Keynesian economics. Well, what's that? You know, and all of a sudden, you know, you got a, you know, 500 page textbook in economics. And I don't even understand all the math in there. It's like, Whoa, right. So conspiracy theories simplify, they cut through things. They're more, they're entertaining. Actually, there's some news research on the entertainment value of conspiracy. Theory. They're like a good movie. Right. <laughs> I mean, just think about JFK, Oliver Stone's JFK. Oh my God, this is, I mean, it's just total bullshit. It's just full. It's just like a hundred lies in that film, but it's so compelling when I watch it, I can't stop watching you know, and, and uh, when when um, Donald Sutherland is giving that speech about the industrial military industrial complex and the helicopters and the and the this and the that and the money follow the money like Watergate and you know and so on, it's like whoa, yeah, it's yeah, it's it's entertaining, it's interesting, and it's it feels also brings the conspiracy theorist into the game. Like I am a major player, 
I am in the equation now. I understand what's really going on, right? So it's very ego stroking in that sense. You know, you you don't feel like a total outsider. I mean, one of the drivers of conspiracism is people out of power think that people in power are up to no good. And this switches. The moment one party wins the election, the other party goes away and thinks, well, they're up to no good. Right? And then, then they win the next round. They, they think, oh, no, there's no conspiracy. And, you know, then the other party thinks there's a conspiracy afoot. That's so it's called conspiracy theories is for losers. Whoever loses the election thinks the other one cheated. That's pretty normal. Uh, what was weird about Trump is that he didn't give it up. Usually after a few weeks, you know, the candidate concedes and start focusing on the next election or whatever that so it's unusual what we're going through now but yeah so that's part of it also cognitive dissonance you know if it, you know it's hard to give up a belief you hold very deeply that's part of your your defining you know characteristic of yourself uh, and that to give it up is very difficult so you can you can concoct conspiracy theories to keep it alive um, there's a proportionality bias that is the size of the conspiracy uh, theory, you know, it's big. It's, you know, 9-11 uh, or JFK or Princess Diana, you know, and people have a hard time thinking that these things a actually happen by small causes. It's a big event. So you want a big cause, you know, the Holocaust, one of the worst things to ever happen in human history. What was the cause by the Nazi regime? One of the worst political regimes in human history. There's a kind of a balance there, right? But like 9-11 is this huge event. It's just gigantic in our imaginations. And 19 guys with box cutters pulled this off. Are you kidding me? Come on. You know, there had to be some other elements to it. Princess Diana, you know, cause of death, drunk driving, speeding, no seatbelt. Come on. You know, she's a princess. She can't die the way the rest of the hoi polloi die. But I don't know, understand right? that 9-11 one, uh, Michael, because the, the, it, it's what they did, um, the dreadful as it was, was brilliant. Like their their plan, oh, totally. their plan was right. absolutely brilliant, and it's the simplicity of why it's so brilliant. And so when people go on about, I go, if someone came to me with two plans, someone's like, okay, I'm going to get these these charges, and we're going to get these 300 people to plant these charges in this building. And this other guy came in and said, I'm going to get some guys, send them to flight school, and then we're going to get go down to um, a hardware store and get some box cutters, and then we're going to slam the buildings uh, at the World Trade Center. I mean. I'd go, wait a minute, this guy is, firstly, this plan sounds cheaper. Secondly, um, <laughs> yes. it's brilliant. Why can't people get this in their heads? I know, it's true. Osama bin Laden spent $500,000 on the entire project. That's nothing. And he's not shy of a coin as well. So, Right. That's, right. <laughs> that's a great expression. Yeah, that's right. And so this, you know, 19 guys in the box, come on, doesn't feel right. JFK, you know, leader of the free world, most powerful man and so on. You know, just brought down by who? Lee Harvey Oswald, some lone nut. It doesn't feel right, right? There's a lack of proportionality between cause and effect, and I think that throws people off on conspiracy. But in fact, that is exactly as you described the way it could be pulled off, right? It, particularly because no, we had extensive um, history of hijackings. We know what hijackers want. They want money. They want their comrades out of jail. They want you know this political benefit, whatever it is that that they're holding out for. Uh, no one had ever hijacked a plane and just flew it into a building. It's like that was completely new. And, uh, you know, this is the sort of thing that the CIA and these people, th th they should be thinking about, right? They need more red teaming, you know, get some converted terrorists, former terrorists. You know, okay, tell us what how you would pull off the next one. That We can't think of it. You know, we're thinking the old one. 
<laughs> what would be the next equivalent of of hijacked planes flying into buildings that I can't think of, right? So that you know, that's the problem. So we're trying to bring our audience as much practical advice as we can, which your book does have a lot in it, uh, particularly if they happen to be a, a 9-11 truther from way back. But out of the many cognitive biases uh, that we're prone to uh, as humans, which which couple do you think that we should be uh, focusing on countering? Uh, may, I'm thinking of the ones that you see as, a, as a, someone in your field that come up just routinely. The couple that you just go, okay, all right, let's, that's low hanging fruit. Let's knock those two out straight away. Yeah. Yeah. Well, confirmation bias, part of motivated reasoning, people are motivated to, to not find the truth, but to win their argument, defend our side. So the, my side bias, you know, our side is always right. The other side is always wrong. I'm motivated to find evidence to support my side, confirm my hypothesis, my belief, my theory. Everybody does this. Absolutely. Everybody, including scientists that are trained not to do this, they do this. You know, so you have to force yourself to think of what would it take to change my mind? This is a question I always ask people. That's really an interesting conspiracy theory you got there. What would it take to falsify it? You know, not just what evidence do you have in support of it, because they'll have all kinds of little weird things, anomalies that happened. And you know, how do you explain this? How do you explain that? And but but, you know, what positive evidence do you have in favor of it? And then what evidence would force you to change your mind. Like, oh yeah, okay, never mind. I, I think I was wrong there. And most people never think of that. You know, it's in fact, we know from studies in cognitive psychology, uh, most people do not attempt to falsify their their beliefs. They don't look for contrary evidence. It's really difficult to do that, in fact. You know, so for example, you give a, a group of people a healthcare reform plan. And if you tell a group of self-identified Republicans, this was written by a Republican, you know, they'll they'll praise it and evaluate it fairly positively. If you tell them it was written by a Democrat, they'll rip it apart and find all the problems with it and vice versa. <clears throat> you know, you flip the valence there. And so people have a hard time finding problems with things that um, that they believe in, that is part of their team. Right. So that would be the best thing we could do. And uh, not just for conspiracy theories. I mean, the whole. Um, replication crisis in science in which something like over half of all psychological studies ever published probably should never have been published. They, you know, they have been, they have failed to replicate or people find contrary evidence to it. And part of the problem is that because uh, scientists are published, uh, pressured to publish or perish, they publish and they massage the data. They do this thing called p-hacking or they don't report all the um, different studies they ran. You know, they ran nine different experiments and they published the one that was significant, right? Then that gets printed up in the media, you know, and these are these kind of cutesy findings like the power pose, you know, stand there with your shoulders back, you know, and then you'll exude confidence and this will get you the raise. I've, I've done that one, Michael. <laughs> Does it work? <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> Or, you know, if you stand at the top of an elevator and ask people for donations, they'll give more money at the, than at the bottom of the escalator. You know, why? You know, people that have a, a, a cleaner desktop or laptop uh, screen, they, they, they're more generous than people that have a messy. And this goes on and on. There's hundreds of these kind of findings that that fail to replicate. Why? Because the, because of the, the, the confirmation bias. You know, scientists are just looking for evidence to support it. All right, let's run an experiment that would dis prove your hypothesis. You know, it's like, I can't think of any, right? So you got to find somebody that will try to refute you. That's the biggest one. Just simply ask, what would it take to change your mind of anybody about anything? 
You know, my favorite example of this is when uh, Bill Nye, the science guy, was debating Ken Ham, the young Earth creationist, at the Answers in Genesis um, uh, Center there, where they build an ark. This is in Kentucky, the Creationism Museum. <laughs> and so the moderator asked each of them, what would it take to change your mind? So Bill had a great answer, you know, equivalent of, uh, of what J.B.S. Haldane said, you know, fossil rabbits in the Precambrian, right? Where, where the trilobites and fossil rabbits, impossible. That would refute the theory of evolution. And no one has ever found that. Ken Ham said, nothing. The Bible is the word of God. That's it. The, I already know the answers. That's the problem. And the problem, the problem to state it simply is that, you know, you're not God and neither am I, or there is objective truth, only I don't know what it is and you don't either. So we have to start from a position of epistemological humility. I don't know. And I could be wrong. I mean, you know, every politician should say this before every speech. I could be wrong, but here's what I think at the moment. You just almost never hear that. Mm. Well, I, I feel like there was a time before misinformation czars and social media fact checkers when it was a little charming to believe in kooky ideas and weird things, which we've touched on a little bit. But, you know, people are often now painted as sinister or dangerous if they go against some popular narratives. What, you know, why should we care if old Uncle Dave believes in chemtrails <laughs> or our next door neighbor is a 9-11 truther? What, what, what's the harm? Well, what's the harm? Okay, so first of all, there may not be any harm. You know, people don't ever act on their beliefs, but often they do act on their beliefs. Also, there's a correlation between uh, believing in one kind of conspiracy theory and then believing in a lot of others, right? So people that tick the box for chemtrails are also more likely to think uh, vaccines cause autism or are a part of some pandemic to destroy the American uh, economy or whatever. You know, they... They, they go down the rabbit hole. It's not just the harmless thing about JFK or, you know, some uh, fluoridation in the water, chemtrails, whatever. It's, it, it, it usually goes along with other things. You know, I don't trust the government. I don't trust science. I don't trust medical doctors. Whoa, hang on. <laughs> you know, then what are the consequences of that, right? So um, it's always better to live as rationally and empirically as possible just in case you get it wrong. And there's some evidence that people that do employ those tools live better lives. They get in fewer accidents, they have better marriages, they make more money, they're less likely to be shot. And just, just they're just likely, less likely to have bad things happen to them because they're just a little more cautious about understanding cause and effect in the world. And they're less superstitious. Superstitions Again, if you just read your astrology column for entertainment purposes, it probably doesn't matter. But if you're more likely to then also believe other things that are also just nonsensical, that could have consequences. So that's my answer. Now, we're, we're very mindful of time here, Michael, but I have a silly question that, that, that I have to ask you. Do you have an example of a conspiracy theory that you wished was true? <laughs> yes, aliens. I would love to think that we've actually made contact with extraterrestrial intelligences. I'm a big supporter of the SETI program, you know, the search for extraterrestrial intelligence. These are the scientists listening for signals. Uh, I, I would be utterly shocked if it turned out we are the only intelligent life form in the universe. It just seems vastly improbable because of the numbers, but we don't know uh, for sure that they're not, uh, that they're out there or that they've come here. I think uh, the idea that they've come here would be probably one of the top, if not the top, discovery ever. So the idea that they are here and the government has the spaceships and the bodies at Area 51, oh my God, 
let's go. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'd love to. And, you know, I, I'll, I'll put it on the cover of Skeptic Magazine. Here it is, <laughs> the alien. That's not the alien, by the way. That's the economy. <laughs> the, monster, <laughs> the, the monster of the economy. Right? The audio podcast the it's a big monster. Okay. Big oh, yeah, monster, monster on the cover of Skeptic. <laughs> that's right, yeah. I mean, people think, oh, you're just dogmatic and close-minded. You don't want to believe. No, that's not true. I believe all sorts of things. Sometimes I'm wrong, and it's just whatever. I just I just want to know what's actually true. I don't want to believe things that have to be believed in to be true. You know, like Philip K. Dick's famous uh, quip, you know, that reality is that which, when you stop believing in it, doesn't go away. That's what I want to believe in. And so if it's, you know, if there's aliens, they're here, okay, this, this, is, this, this would be great. Well, Mark, I want to give you the final word. We currently live in a in a rational world. What what would a rational world uh, look like to you? Well, I think we are living in a. Uh, I agree. We we are living in a rational world. I think we are. And the, the people that deny that that say, "Well, we're living in a post truth world." Well, how do you know? Uh, and then they'll make some argument for why they think we are. And it's like you just lost the argument. You opened your mouth and made an argument. So apparently, you do think you can make an argument for something and against something, which is rational. <laughs> that That's how it works, right? You're using the tools of reason. So you've just refuted yourself by speaking. Okay. So I'm, I'm relatively optimistic about human reason. Most people are relatively rational when it comes to claims that, that, that they're not committed for or against in some political, religious, or ideological way. You know, most people leave, lead relatively rational lives. You know, they they have families, they have jobs, they keep money in the bank, gas in the tank, food in the fridge. You know, they're leading relatively rational lives. It, you know, even the people on uh, the January 6th insurrectionists, we know who they all were because they posted their pictures on social media, <laughs> all 700 of them, right? Uh, but we know who they are. These are not, you know, wackadoodle, tinfoil hat wearing people in their parents' basements. These are normal people with jobs, families, careers, so on. There's some that flew there in their private jets. Oh, my God. Okay. So, uh, you know, apparently there's something else going on there. And and But outside of that, you know, had Trump not maintained the rigged election conspiracy theory, uh, none of that would have happened. This is all driven by one person, Right. And, you know, same thing with Putin. I don't think, you know, Russians have lost their mind. No, Russians are rational, good people. They've just, there's one guy, you know, and he controls all the power. They, you know, so we, uh, it's, I, I, I maintain my optimism. You know, we'll, we'll get through these problems that we have now and become more rational, I think. Well, we, we have to give your book a plug. Uh, your current book is Conspiracy, Why the Rational Believe the Irrational, which, uh, which I've actually listened to on, on uh, audiobook, so I can recommend that. It's, it's fantastic. Now, we, we do have a final question that we ask all of our guests, and we'd like to know what you are reading right now. What am I reading? Okay, I'll tell you. Uh, I'll just grab the first book. Oh, here. Here's one I just finished. Uh, this is from the great Simon Winchester. Uh, I just had him on my podcast this morning, knowing what we know, the transmission of knowledge from ancient wisdom to modern magic. So basically it's, you know, what is knowledge, justified true belief, and how do we communicate that to other people? Well, that's, that's a whole history of that. So that was a good book. I enjoyed that. My other favorite authors, if I had to plug anybody, I guess it would be Steven Pinker's books, particularly Better Angels and Enlightenment Now, his book Rationality I use in my class, Richard Dawkins. Is a beautiful writer, Stephen Jay Gould, Carol Tavris, I really like. You know, and to me, I get inspiration as a writer from reading other 
people that I really like their writings. And I think that's, that's just, it's such a rich world we live in that we have this information. Books are so cheap. Audio books now that everybody has audio books. That didn't used to be the case. I mean, almost no books were on audio. Back in the nineties, I would ride around on my bike in my car with my Sony Walkman and cassette tapes, you know, listening to the handful of audio. Nine, books. Ten, nine, ten types of, of <laughs> yes, <books>. right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know, and podcasts, you know, podcasts are great. It's incredible how much information I get from just listening to podcasts. It's stunning. And so I feel like I'm fortunate to have lived at this time to see this trans transition from the printed me print media to digital audio media it's just stunning it's you, there's you should never ever be bored ever again no excuse <laughs> if anything you're just it's too much mm-hmm. you shut it off and and just listen to the air the wind <laughs> well michael how can people find you online Oh, well, skeptic.com is the best place to go to subscribe to Skeptic Magazine. You can do it digitally, or we actually have a physical magazine. Oh, that's right. You can't see this, but physical magazine we can ship you. Or or just go to Amazon to order my books or whatever. MichaelShermer.com is my webpage. I, we have posted all 214 of my uh, Scientific American columns there and stuff about my books. Substack skeptic column and all that. Well, Michael, uh, we can't hold you any longer today, but we we must ask that you come back once the Jewish lizard blankets have been uh, <laughs> unmasked. Right. And I am going to just say to you, aha, told you so. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Don't forget the Jewish lasers. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, thanks, thanks so much. So who's your next guest? Kanye West? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I would do anything to have Kanye. Yes. I could do Alex Jones. <laughs> yeah, Alex. All right. All right, gentlemen. <laughs> Thanks, Thank Michael. You. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to the New Flesh Podcast. If you like our work, please consider rating us on Apple Podcasts or even writing us a review. It really does help the show reach a wider audience. We'll be back with another episode next week. Until then, long live the New Flesh.